0: Hi, this is Andy, the host of Exploring Improv. Before we get started with this show, I want to talk about another podcast that I'm in called Rotary. Rotary is an improvised comedy podcast, and it is my passion project. It follows a series of characters through a rotation of phone calls... And it's just really, really fun. It's completely improvised. And I would love for anyone who likes this podcast to check it out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, really anywhere you get your podcast. You can also find us at facebook.com slash rotarypod. And without further ado, here is Exploring Improv. Welcome to Exploring Improv. I'm your host, Andy Barrett. Today's guest is an improviser in Kansas City, Missouri, and the branch, man- branch manager of the Improv Shop Kansas City. He is a former ensemble member of the KC Improv Company, where he is also a teacher and a director of their training center. He is also the author of the improv blog, Yes Labyrinth, on Tumblr. Bobby, Mc- Bobby McCoskey. How's it going? Oh, not too shabby, not too shabby.
1: Nice little intro there. You're so concise. I love it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even though I flubbed it a couple times.
1: <laughs> you're, you're great. You're <laughs> Wait till <too, way> <laughs> you see me flub.
0: Oh, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, so um, I just kind of wanted to interview you, and I thought I would just start from the beginning. Um, what got you started at improv, and what made you stick with it for so long?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I started my improv journey, uh, watching improv in St. Louis. My best friend started doing it at the improv shop in St. Louis. And so I went to go see this thing that he would do was doing. And I, I don't know, I would always been into comedy my whole life. And you hear about improv from like SNL stuff, but I, I don't know why I never connected the two. And then I went and saw him perform, saw other groups. And I was like, Oh, this is like, this is what i wanted to do my entire life and now i just right, know yeah. what it is now so yeah just kind of got the bug for it there moved to kansas city started doing it here with uh taking classes with the kc improv company and then yeah just a uh, lot of independent teams and then uh we i have uh, my team babies uh we were this was probably five or six years ago, we were like doing weekly Skype coaching with people in LA and New York and Chicago and like trying to learn from all the places while being kind of stuck in the Midwest, you know?
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you, uh, I know you've been coached by a lot of notable coaches, like how do you feel like that's benefited you in improv, getting multiple viewpoints? Like what, what are some things that you've picked up that you don't think you would have otherwise? Oh man. Um,
1: I think one of the nicest things with it is like, uh, you, of course you like, if you take a class with like Kevin Mulaney in like Chicago Mm -hmm. or New York, like, yeah, of course he's going to be dedicated and, 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 you know, teach you and you're going to be in his class and he's going to teach you like any student. But when you're over the internet, there's like a, you get to see kind of the personal, like parts of people's lives a little more. And also, um, I, I never like, well, I have taken like a one-off class in person with like Kevin Mulaney, for example, but like, I feel like they enjoy coaching over the internet. like all my coaches seem to be like, it seems to be refreshing to them in a way. And I like that. Like, I always felt like they in- were really having a blast and kind of liking that they could do this from their house, especially like, like I said, like six, seven years ago when it was first becoming a thing really um so I feel yeah. like I got to get like I got all kinds of great improv lessons from them but like I, I feel like I got the blessing of them being like oh man this is cool that we're doing this this is cool it's kind of a little more personal than a, a class in a facility would be I guess I, I can say
0: yeah Usually you get to see them in their living room. It's kind of like you're peeking, literally peeking in the window of their house. Yeah,
1: you get to know their dogs and like their wife would come up and like say something. You're like, oh, that's their wife. That's cool. This room looks cute that they're in. That kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah, I know yeah. your room is very cute. Full disclosure for the audience, Bobby is actually um, the coach of Relentless Comedy right now. So uh, we, do, we do video coaching with that. So I've also seen in the, into the window of his living room. Is it your living room or is it a uh, bedroom? know.
1: this is actually my guest bedroom. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So yeah, we have like uh, some plants. And usually if my wife's not here, I have to have my dog up here. or He'll be scratching on the door. So
0: right, you, yeah, you, yeah. you get to
1: see him on the bed a lot. Um,
0: yeah, I was going to say, because I pictured, okay, there's the bed there. So unless they yeah. have a strange living room, that's definitely not a living room.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess more on like the technical aspect of like the question you asked, like, I mean, I got to learn like UCB, like gameplay from people who had worked on it for like four or five years and like mm-hmm. gotten at least, you know, minimum or Mulaney who invented so much of the UCB curriculum that like, I mean and like to do that for like $10 a session or something like it came out to be like yeah. the math is like, Oh, I get to learn from the person who wrote the UCB curriculum, uh, you know, and was their head of, uh, of, uh, education for a long time. Like, and I'm just here in Kansas city, like in my friend's living room. Uh, and like, I, right. I think, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I I, just so much knowledge about UCB on top of like Chicago style play and then everyone else's little ideas. I I don't know. It's uh, without, with it not being a formal class too, they kind of got to teach us little lessons that I think if you were in like a, oh, that's a level three thing. We're not going to teach them Mm. that right now. If it came up in practice, like they would just, Oh, here's here's another concept you can work on, and like right. that was very nice. Not it being like a regimented, this, 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 and now this.
0: Now, is there anything? Um, because uh, I mean, Kevin Mullaney is obviously like very much a legend. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything you picked up from him that maybe you wouldn't pick up from just reading the UCB manual or or something like that?
1: Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I kind
1: of got to see like his coaching stuff, like. Like on, on notes that he would give, like, uh, he would be kind of sometimes like working on a philosophy. Like if he was like, Oh, you know what? I like, I like the term based reality, but what if it's this other thing? And what if we like, mm. and sometimes it would work. And sometimes he'd be like, ah, I don't know how I feel about that. But to be like the test, the Guinea pig of it is kind of cool too, to be yeah. like, like, Oh, this is this idea I'm tossing around. Uh, you know, let's try this out. Uh, I, th- I felt like that was kind of a, a, a blessing in a way um, because yeah, you don't usually get that in like uh again, like a leveled class. You uh, right. it's more going to be like, let's stick with what we know. Um, but so much of improv and especially improv nowadays, like uh, it's about like taking what you know and trying uh, like, I, I feel like people get complacent and like, oh, this is the only way you can play game. And this is what game has to be. And this is what relationship is. And like, and, you know, these are all the tools. It's like, yeah, that might be true. But let's try to branch out a little bit and try some other stuff.
0: Yeah, it's a living art form. And I think that really illustrates it. I mean, even UCB, who is, you know, as an institution, very, I would say probably the most rigid with what they consider good improv to be. It's like, even to hear that, you know, Kevin Mullaney is experimenting with like new ideas. It shows that it's never just stagnant.
1: Yeah. 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 And uh, I think sometimes you forget things and you or you might be like, Oh, I had this idea. And like, I'm, I just want to try it for a little bit. And like those little one-off sessions are kind of great. Cause I feel like people like him, especially like, um, there's, there's like that, n- not a middle tier teacher, I guess you could say, but the people who are like, oh, I teach classes through a company or I teach classes through a thing. When mm-hmm. you teach independent teams, like some people never get that opportunity when they get too big. Like Mulaney, you know, I'm sure he, everyone wanted him to be their coach for a while. Or James Mastriani in L.A. does lots of cool weekly stuff, but I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of time to do one off coaching uh, you know, and drive out to somewhere in LA and meet someone and it takes an hour and then you take an hour to get back. You know what I mean? He can just right, be in yeah. his living room and like, okay, cool. And it gives him a little bit of a freedom to, to try that stuff out.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, you are, from what I understand and correct me if I'm wrong, cause you've never really, really talked about it, but mm-hmm. you are more inclined towards the UCB philosophy, right?
1: Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm a big part of any comedic improv scene is going to have a game. And if you call it some there, there's, I could talk for hours about like (laughs) multiple games and like what a game means and all that. But yeah, I feel like there's every, uh, the whole thing in UCB about like, uh, Something's going to break the pattern of normality. That's where humor comes from, from subversion of expectation. So anytime you get a laugh in a scene or anytime something funny happens, it's because of a subversion of expectation. And like, how do we do good improv and play that idea out to its, you know, uh, fullest potential, um, Um, yeah. So I'm a big proponent of that. Um, and I think, I think where that gets muggled up and where you get into improv arguments is some people will be like, but relationship. And it's like, of course, like, of course relationship. (laughs) Uh, but also we're playing a game. And like, so like, as long as we can balance those, those ideas together, um, you know,
0: do you think, uh, do you think philosophies that don't emphasize game, are still playing it because that's kind of been what I've noticed is whatever name we give to it. There's generally, if it's comedic improv, it seems like there is some sort of, if not premise, there's some sort of through line of comedy. And I feel like game is just a word to describe that. Would you basically agree with that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, every show I've seen in Chicago by Chicago improvisers, they're playing games, uh, and they might call it something else or uh, they might say it's like a character trait or a point of view or whatever. But there's if, if something funny is happening, it's usually a it's usually a game. It's something subverting right. your expectations of
0: normality. So what do you think it is about you and your personality that you are attracted to that uh, way of looking at it? Um
1: Cause it's, cause it's analytical. Cause you can, you can, uh, you can quantitize it cause you can, um, uh, like it, it's not just an ephemeral thing floating in the air. Uh, like, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I'm into, I have lots of hobbies that involve, you know, like I like music. I like putting things in genres. I like insects. I like determining like what insect is, where it comes from, why it's the way it is. Like so right. with comedy, it's like, my brain is all, you know, that, it doesn't mean that that part is always funny. Like if you overanalyze <laughs> a scene, you get into the whole, uh, uh what is it the boiling the frog or whatever yeah slowly
0: boiling a frog and eventually it's dead and doesn't realize it yeah 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 or oh um
1: or dissecting a frog where it's like oh yeah 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 yeah, where you can uh you can dissect a frog and understand how it works but you have killed it right yeah yeah same thing with comedy like you can understand a joke and overanalyze it and you've destroyed it uh right like Sometimes you need to destroy some frogs to uh, right. to, to know how to uh, heal other ones, I
0: guess. Yeah, I was just going to say that. you got to <laughs> kill a few of them just so you can save the rest.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's probably why UCB appeals to me. Um, and also, honestly, a part of it probably was like, um, UCB at a time was kind of butting heads with, uh, the old, old ways of improv, not that the old ways were wrong, but I don't think they had all the answers. And so like my natural punk rock rebellious self is usually like, Oh man, I like these people who were, uh, <laughs> who were bucking mm-hmm. the system a little bit. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Well, what, um, in what ways, uh, how do I like, in what ways, uh, do you feel like the old, what do you consider the old system and what did it not have all the answers for?
1: Um, I, I think a lot of it was at least my growing up, like, and learning improv, like a lot of the old short form stuff. And I'm not going to shit on, I love short, I've seen some great short form, but like a lot of it was like, uh, like first off just bucking heads with short form at all. And being like, we're only, we only do long form here was like, yeah, that's what I really like about the art is the long form. And like a lot of the times the short form stuff, even though it's funny and everything, it, it, it's like, uh, only eating hors d'oeuvres or something. Right. It's like empty calories. Yeah. It's empty calories. And so like, I didn't like that. And then I think a lot of the old head stuff, maybe it was a Kansas city thing, but I got a lot of lessons that I got early on here that I felt were not helpful in any kind of, Mm. like just, um, yeah. Just like like running exercises for the purpose of exercises. I don't know. There's lots of like, I don't know. There's just lots of games that we would play where it's just like memorization games or like uh make a pun games and stuff mm, like that okay. that were like, okay, these are learning tools, but I'm in like a level three or four class. And like, what's like a, how do I practically get better at doing long form scenes? And so like, Maybe, and again, this might have just been my upbringing and my like learning of improv. But when I ran into a lot of those, like, oh, we've done this exercise for 10 years, and I'd just be like, but why? Like, why? What's the, what's it, what's it helping? I guess, uh, at least in my upbringing, there was a lot of uh, kind of ephemeral, hippie, weird stuff that (laughs) no one really. Practice, like, there's no end goal to a lot of it. It was just like, oh, you can use, use you know, it was kind of like brain training apps, but like, right. I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't like a lot of that stuff.
0: So would you say that's informed the way that you teach and coach now is the way you thought then about, okay, here's, what can we really do to really help?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, any good lesson plan, like I usually almost all my classes, I'm like, hey, I want to work on this thing today. Uh, I'm going to give you some exercises that'll work on it. I'm going to uh, talk to you a little bit about it. Um, and then I'm going to let you play a whole bunch. And then I'm going to try to see if these exercises can be practically used in scenes that you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah, That's like, that's probably 98% of my lesson plans or something like that. Because I had too many classes where it was just like, uh, not not that... I still like to do fun warmups that have nothing to do with anything. I still like to get loose and talk with people about their lives. But when we're like learning something, I want to practically give you information and ways to apply it. I sat in too many classes where it was just like, Oh, we're just having fun. And like, that's all fun until you actually want to get good at, if a piano teacher is just like, Hey, we're just going to have fun slap around on the keys today. Like, (laughs) okay, that's fun, But like, what if I want to get good at piano? Um, how do I do that?
0: Like, What does it take, this is uh, the most loaded question in the world. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Uh, What does it take to get good at improv, in your opinion? Some things. You don't have to say the whole everything. Yeah.
1: Um, I do think usually you have to have an affinity for comedy in some kind of way. It doesn't matter, like, what genre of comedy you like. But I I do think at their root, even the shyest person, even the person who's not into improv, When they get into improv, it's usually because at their core, they love comedy. They like making people laugh. They really enjoy that. Um, And then the other thing is studying, (laughs) just studying the art form and like, Dedicating yourself to it. Uh, you know, oh God, don't do this to me, laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have the, Andy knows I have the worst Chromebook that's like held together by a C clamp. Yeah, oh, it,
0: like, it sounded like a rattlesnake going on. It does. It's,
1: <laughs> it's warning me I got too close to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think I fixed it. Uh, I, I went back on wood, but I didn't start doing it again. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so. A, a love of, of love of comedy, uh, and, or performing the performing thing can come later. I think some people like just taking classes, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, uh, just being a good student, learning like what improv is learning why the people are, who are good at it, what they believe. Um, it's, and it's similar to like, when I like a musician a lot, I usually go and I watch interviews with them to see what musicians they listen to. Cause mm. Not all, it's not always true, but usually, if I like someone, they probably know some artists that I don't know that are really cool and I need to check out. And like, you kind of do that with improv. You're like, oh, these people are awesome. Oh, they learned from this person who learned from this person. Oh, oh, they wrote this book on improv. Like, you go down that rabbit hole and you learn, you know, you gain knowledge and understanding through that.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, mm-hmm. What is something that you feel like improvisers should do more of or something they should be taught more or something that they should focus on more. So a technique or an idea or a theory? Um let's see. I got
1: lots of theories that I like. There's a thing we worked uh um with uh Danny Mastrangelo a lot on like the ripple effect, like ripples on a pond with game like So kind of, if this is true, what else is true? Like taking an idea that one character displays, uh, like a game move, what if if that's a part of this world? What if this entire landscape is affected by this behavior that people are doing? Uh, I always like that kind of play. Um, Sometimes it can become too uh, like tag runny, just one-off jokes. But if you make it like an honest part of the world, Um, and think like, if this is true, if people are really doing this weird thing, how does it affect, what are the ripples of this on other things in this world? Cause sometimes if you're, uh, if you play that out, you stumble into ideas you never would have thought about, um, that are still playing the same comedic idea. Um, that's like a little more of an advanced thing. I'd say that I wish everyone would learn. Uh, um, I've been working on this thing lately where I'm truly trying to make people realize that like, their own opinions and their own thoughts and their own uh, views in life can come out through their character and you can kind of blend those two together with like the way you're playing and like make art that is you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been, I've been working on this idea a lot of like just doing exercises where I have people do a scene and then I'm just like, Oh, they're talking about the news hey, pause what you're doing. Give me a real opinion you have about news. And then they say it and they play the scene out. And like so often they can run with like the things they come up with and the things that they want to say or that are their real opinions that they sometimes don't get across because, oh, it's me, the character. It's not me, the improviser. It's like, if you can kind of mirror those or like blend those two together and play that way, it gives you a little bit of freedom and your comedic voice and your brain gets to show through in the way you play and that's really all you have to stand out from other improvisers is like who are you and what are your views right. and like how are you yeah like I don't know like that's my new thing that I've been working
0: yeah on. I'm a I'm a really big fan of approaching improv that way I, I when I first was introduced to that concept it kind of unlocked things for me as an improviser. It was a moment where I remember that's a moment that I got better at improv was when I realized I could say my real opinions on stage. Um, Are you familiar with the flashing, the concept of... uh,
1: Uh, Is that the Ian Roberts thing? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh I was taught that by uh Andy Rocco, who I used to be one of my online coaches. He was in mm-hmm. the team Monkey Dick, which is yeah. much more respected than the name would imply. Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh he introduced me to that exercise of flashing, and it was such a huge revelation to me because when you're speaking from a place of your own personal truth, unusual things naturally happen in the same way that there's the concept that if you're telling a monologue you will naturally uh, say something unusual because if you remembered it, it's unusual. Well, the same concept applies if you're in a scene in an organic scene and you just state your real life opinions in character, uh, because people are weird, including myself. So if I say something, it can be the, uh, an unusual thing that can become a game. Uh, And that really, really, uh, clicked with me when I learned that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I love the flashing idea and I love Ian. Ian Roberts is a fountain of great advice. Oh, absolutely. Um, Uh, but yeah, uh, the whole, I'm trying to think of, um, uh, like sometimes you'll notice too, like you let a little part of yourself shine through and then like you can still balance that with the character and whatever you had set up into that point. It's like, just because you're playing like, for example, like a Manhattan millionaire in their loft doesn't mean that they still might not dig like uh, like uh, watching episodes of Dragon Ball Z or whatever you're right. saying. It. You know what I mean? It's like, in fact, it makes the character seem more realistic mm-hmm. uh, that they have kind of, you know, like a, a personal individual view that's different than the stereotype you have of them right um
0: well one thing uh, that uh in when i took uh the there was a matt besser workshop in st louis that i took last mm -hmm. year and one thing that really stuck out to me that is relevant to this is that people were doing or playing characters that were not overtly stereotypical or archetypical but he would call it out and say like that's not really truthful that's just an idea we've had by watching tv or movies who is Mm -hmm. this person really if we really think about our own knowledge of people and ourselves uh and that idea resonates with me so much because people come into improv and they think that it has to be something other than you but it's not it's just like any other form of comedy a stand-up whatever it's it's your own personal voice that is comedic because it's unique to you
1: yeah. Yeah. And uh, there would probably be some people who like don't know UCB well enough that would be like blown away that that's like a thing Messer Besser would say, but like it, it's like everything that they really preach is like, they're all about honesty and mm-hmm. playing at the top of your intelligence. And uh, yeah, I get like, I still get annoyed when like how many times I see like improvisers I know who are like very staunch atheists, which is like fine if you want to be that, but like I know people who can't even play a character who has faith because like Mm. they gotta, they, anytime they get a chance to like rib on religion, it has to be like a thing to do. And it's like, okay, that's not really your character and your opinion coming through. It's your opinion, blinding you from playing a character, honestly, you know what I mean? So that's kind of the inverse problem of uh, sometimes playing yourself, I guess is like sometimes like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're like a character who is religious, you're probably not going to be making subtle jokes at religion being a hoax or
0: something. Right. That's just ironic detachment at that point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, um, that, um, I, oh, I forgot where I went off on that tangent. I do that a lot, you'll <laughs> notice that. That's
0: uh, all good, that's all good. <laughs> yeah, that kind of reminds me of, uh, last episode I interviewed uh, Brian James O'Connell, and we talked a little bit a little mm-hmm. bit about The Family, which is a legendary team that was from Chicago in the mid-90s. Uh, Matt Besser and Ian Roberts were on it, later went to form the UCB. Uh, Miles Stroth, who formed the Pack. Uh, Neil Flynn, who was the janitor on Scrubs, uh, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. they invented the form of the deconstruction, which is basically deconstructing a long two-person scene and commenting on it and uh, all, all that good stuff. But one thing that I've heard that they did was if someone had a point of view on something, it didn't matter whether they agreed with that point of view. It was that they honored that point of view as that's what we're exploring in this scene. Yeah,
1: yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, yeah. The, to honor it to the character. Yeah. Cause like, um, like I was saying too, like there, it, it's so easy to do stereotypes, especially in the Midwest of like, Oh, every redneck is like this. Or right. Every, you know, and it's like, honestly, there's so many rednecks I've met. Like I work in the construction world who like, you'll see them and you'll be like, Oh, that's like a country boy. And he's this. And then like you talk with them and like, uh, this might be an Ian Roberts thing too, but like every human uh, pursues pleasure and uh, uh, avoids pain, uh, avoids pain. And it's like the same thing is true with like most, you know, it's like, yeah, they're hunters, but like, if you ask them on a deep level, why it's not like no, no hunter is the hunter you see in a lot of improv scenes. You're like, Oh, I'm going to kill all these deer right now. It's like (laughs) they, they might actually just enjoy the peace and quiet of being outside. And like the, the oneness with nature and like people are deeper and smarter than you give them credit Absolutely. for a lot in I- improv. Um And so I've been trying to get better too, about like not just playing a stereotype of like any character a- at all, even if it's just like a college student. Cause like how many caricatures of college students do you know? Right. Opposed to like, like a real honest person who's trying to do the best with the hand they've been dealt. Um,
0: right. That, also, that reminds yeah. me of something uh, that Bill Arnett said one time. He is, I feel like I'm dropping names like crazy. Um,
1: <laughs> drop, drop them. I'll pick them right up. <laughs> uh,
0: Bill Arnett uh, in Chicago, uh, when I took classes from him, one thing that he said was, a lot of times in a scene, we can start with an archetype, but then through the scene, we discover what makes this person unique and goes beyond the archetype. It's An archetype should be a starting place, not an end point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I love that too. Um, I always, I say this a lot in classes is that usually like a scene. Yeah. it can start with like, if we, if we just stop a scene after each line and we're like, okay, what do we know? Like we might know from the first few lines, okay, it's a couple, they're making dinner. Um, and they just get one of them just got off of work. The beginning of, I don't know, a large amount of improv scene, <laughs> something like that. Um, but like, as we as the scene goes on, we're slowly zooming in. What makes this, you know, uh, y- you get different phrases like this is the day something happens or, uh, you know, like there's lots of different terminology. But at the end of the scene, what will make it memorable to people if it feels like something uniquely honest? happened in the scene between unique characters Mm -hmm. with, you know, points of view that were honest and real. And we explored that. Like, those are the scenes you usually remember are the ones where like, like it felt real. And also there was this funny shit going on uh, during all of it. Yeah.
0: Again, Uh. it's like any, any comedy or really any art. It's the, what sticks out is people who have a unique voice. Like we remember Quentin Tarantino, but we don't remember just, whoever directed some random disaster i'm being very non specific but some random disaster movie in the 90s you know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, the day after tomorrow who who directed i don't yeah, know yeah. who directed that um yeah um
0: uh so switching yeah, yeah. switching gears a little bit um so you in this was it last year that you started uh, improv shop kansas city or was it the year before uh
1: yeah it would have been 2019 is that correct? No, it was 2018. 2018, yeah. yeah late yeah, 2018. 2018, yeah. Yeah, late 2018. Uh, <laughs> if it would have been 2019, that would have been bad. It would have, we would have had half our shows already closed because of everything. In the All world. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's the way it is. Yeah. Um, how it, but, how are you
0: doing right now with the improv shop? Is everything going okay? Yeah, everything's okay. Luckily,
1: we're kind of the offshoot of the STL branch, and like. We, we don't have as big a budget here. You know, we're still kind of getting started, which is a blessing and a curse, but we're doing okay. Um, we're still like, uh, you know, we're asking people to go to the improv Shop's website to like, you can always buy gift cards for when things reopen and do that. Mm-hmm. But um, we're not hurting too much here in KC. I, I worry about the people in St. Louis a lot because they have a, they have a bar and a restaurant attached to their place. And, you know, um, th- you know, they're, they're doing pretty well for themselves, all things considered, because uh, the improv communities we have both in KC and St. Louis are very generous and mm-hmm. kind. And they, a lot of, they understand artists and they support artists. And so like, we're, It's kind of one of the blessings of like starting something so lovey-dovey as improv is that the people who 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 love it and care for it, they really love and care for it, and they try to support it uh, as much as they can. So we've been very fortunate with a lot of donations and a lot of people understanding uh, classes are going to be pushed around, Mm -hmm. delays are going to be happening, and everyone seems to be like, "Hey, once this is all over, you know, we're here." Hopefully we're all here, and you know we're all taking care of each other. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've I've always been very impressed by the community in Kansas City and St. Louis. Uh, it's just such a it's so tight knit. Um, mm-hmm. I've just always been very impressed by that. What compelled you yeah. to? Or well, first of all, let me let me back up a little bit. How did Improv Shop Kansas City start, and why?
1: Yeah. Um, so. The Kansas City branch happened. Um, myself, Brian, Forna, Sean, uh, both moved to Kansas City who had either been going to the improv shop in St. Louis or teaching or doing classes there. And so Kevin, who runs uh, improv shop St. Louis, reached out to us and said like, hey, if the community needs it, what if there's another space? What if we open a little thing to kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, teach people the way we do improv and like, Teach people, you know, some lessons we have and would it help? Uh Kevin's whole thing has always been, you know, like a rising tide raises all boats. And so uh honestly, he approached me probably five years ago about it and was like, hey, would this work? And honestly, at the time, the KC improv scene I felt like wasn't big enough like to do it. It was still kind of growing. It was still uh, you know, there was uh There wasn't like a crate. It wasn't growing and blooming enough that I felt like now was a good time. And then he approached me a couple of years ago and I was like, yeah, it's gotten a lot busier. We have a lot more students. Everything's growing a lot more. And so, like, if I can help offer a stage, if I can help offer classes uh, like he 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 kind of checked back in with me and I was like, yeah, things have changed. Uh, It's grown a lot and it is still growing. And so like, I feel like now would be a good time. So uh, Kevin's just one of those people who's like, uh, what's the the saying? Like he only looks at someone else's bowl to make sure it has enough. Like he, you know what I mean? Like he, He's never like, oh man, I uh, I I want to get. He never wants to fran- like he doesn't necessarily want to start an improv shop <laughs> franchise. He just saw friends who needed help in Kansas City or thought he could help, and he reached out to. That's him. awesome. And so like, that it's it's coming from the purest, nicest freaking spot, and I'm, I I feel very fortunate.
0: Yeah, I uh, if it wasn't said, Kevin is he's the owner of the improv shop in St. Louis, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, Kevin McKernan, he's started it. Uh, just shout out while I'm on a podcast to everyone there who've really started the St. Louis community, the Magic Ratio people, John Langen, Katie Nunn, Melanie Penn, Andy Slowey. They've been, uh, they've really built the St. Louis scene up to like its giant stature now, and I, I adore all of them for everything they've done. Here.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't met really anyone else specifically. I've just seen like the like the Facebook group for St. Louis and it's, it's amazing how supportive they are. And I know I did meet Kevin. I I took that intensive class from him and I was yeah. so struck by how genuine he is as a person and how kind and giving he is as a person.
1: Yeah, he, he really is. Kevin's like, he, he, he's gotten so many things started and he's really someone who keeps you on the ball and like is so passionate about how like improv can like just be a great thing not only to bond each other together but to like bond a community but to do more with improv than just like we're having some laughs and some goofs it's like now let's we're part of each other's lives now Yeah, like you know what i mean it's like we're family now and we and of course like the tina fey like improv's a cult but it's my cult kind of thing it's like it's like uh improv is like if it's a cult, it's the most non-judgmental, uh, non-forcing uh, you to do it cult I've ever found. <laughs> right? Truth. Yeah, I exactly. Appreciate the hell out of it because uh, it's it's just you know, at at its true form, it's just a, a community of friends. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, uh, so, what is it that you feel um, the improv shop Kansas City offers to the community that uh, wasn't there, or that it, what what is its value add?
1: Yeah. Um, a lot of it was like a lot, there are uh, uh, you kind of get into this problem. I think it's in a lot of cities where if you're kind of that middle size, lower middle size, you, uh, you teach a lot of classes and then you got a lot of indie teams, but there's like one theater for them to play at, or they have like, uh, a little, you know, one-off show that they do twice a year. Like, um, so there was really like, we we'd started to have so many students come through classes that, we had all these indie teams and like only like a couple shows to perform at. So, um, and like one venue who God bless the KC improv company, but they're an ensemble. So they have all these other shows going on, uh, you know, that are part of their monthly regiment. And so like, naturally you're only going to have so many opportunities for indie teams to perform. They do a lot with what they can. Uh, but we were like, kind of like, Hey, here's another stage, uh, to do that. Um, and so like, that was a big part of it. Um, and then, you know, of course, like our, now we're, our big thing too, is like teaching people our curriculum and, uh, you know, how it might differ and like focusing on long form, uh, and group mind and things. And like you go through our classes and you get a month of, uh, you get a monthly show run. So you, you have a guaranteed spot of like your team that you've been practicing with for a year, get to perform. And then like, you can move on from there. You can do more shows. But like, that was kind of a big thing with us too, is like, if you graduate our classes, we want you to be a group of friends and a great group at the end of it, as opposed to like, Oh, you might take a class in this. And then the people might mix up and now you might be with some new people. And like, no, you when you go through our classes, You stick together, you're a group. And when you come out the end, like you're a tight knit family.
0: Yeah. No, I I got that. I got that when I took the level two intensive, which is group mind. And I have never taken a class like that in improv before. And it was one of the most important uh, improv classes I think I've ever taken. Um, Yeah. Yeah. If you want to, I'd like actually for you just to break down a little bit about what that group mind class is for the listeners here. Yeah,
1: um so Group Mind our level 2 Group Mind curriculum was written by Liz Allen out of Chicago, who if you don't know who Liz Allen is, she's like one of the most prolific teachers in <laughs> Chicago she won like the Chicago teacher of the year award so much they just named it after her (laughs) instead of giving it to her anymore so uh she's amazing and uh group mind it was something that like uh kind of was the missing puzzle piece you might do a one-off class on it here or there you might get a mention of it in a in a class here or there but we really wanted to focus on what is group mind and kind of like del closes and the family and the way they played it and talked about it uh Uh, and it is kind of like I was saying her, it's, it is kind of the hippiest part of improv. (laughs) It's this idea that like collectively our brains are connected together and, uh, together we can be stronger than any individual performer can be. You kind of have to drop your ego at the door and support, 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 um, and give and take focus. And so the whole level focuses on group mind and on taking care of each other and kind of, uh, like I was saying, kind of the, the most, uh, uh, religiously hippie thing. It's like, uh, you, you get rid of your own ego for the greater good. Um, and like, it's, it's insane when you focus on it so hard, how trusting everyone becomes of each other and how much, uh, freedom you have to like, uh, uh, I think a big thing in a lot of classes is like at the end of the day, a lot of people don't know each other very well, even if they've taken a couple classes with each other. Um, and like, if you can do a class where you're kind of like falling together and you're not failing, but you're like putting yourself out there together uh, and you're not afraid because like, Oh, if I, if I mess up, everyone's got me. Or if if we mess up, it's not a mess up. It's the way it's supposed to be. And we put faith in that and the way that makes you more free to play is something that I love seeing every time I get to teach it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I know for me, it completely opened up just the way, I mean, really, it kind of made me a better person, I felt like, because it made me (laughs) me so much more aware of what it really means to be present for other people and what it really means to be supportive. And ever since that class, Mm -hmm. I've kind of seen that, like, it's one of the main things, I think, that that's missing from a lot of improvisers tool belts. It's like they know techniques, they know different theories, all that kind of stuff. But what they don't necessarily have is that they may understand the concept of listening or group mind, um, and support, Mm -hmm. but they don't have like a fully ingrained idea of what it means to truly give yourself over to the group. Uh, which is something I didn't have until I took that class.
1: No. Um, I think a lot of people don't because Even if you've done improv a while, there's still always that natural, uh, like evolutionary thing of like, I don't want to look bad in front of other people. Um, and you know, uh, you see it when people are on the sidelines and they're like half get out there. They wanted to make a move, but they second guessed it. And now they're like, and you saw it because you're that improv nerd in the audience. Like, um, When you see a team that has great group mind that are fearless together, you know it from the second they hit the stage, you're like, holy shit, (laughs) they are supporting each other so blindly, they have each other's back, even if the scene isn't the greatest most comedic scene, I know these people are in it together. And like, there's, I'd rather see, you know, it's almost like a band thing again. It's like, I'd rather see a band who are confident and having a great time on stage performing over people who might technically be better musicians, but they're like in their own head and each in their own little universe. Like, um, uh, yeah, I I do feel like when I see a team who has great group mind, uh, like Plaid to be here in Kansas city, you might not know them. They play at comedy city. And I don't know how much they work on group mind or even talk about it. They probably don't even talk about it a mm-hmm. bunch. But when I see them on stage, I know they support the shit out of everything each other is doing. And like, you know it from the second you see them on stage and like, that's what group mind is. That is like the, the, the blind support, the trust in this all knowing brain. Um, and I always compare it to ants because I'm a bug nerd, but I, <laughs> it's like, you know, they're a super organism. Your group should be a super organism where, if one of you uh, drops something, you all pick it up. You don't blame them for dropping something, you all pick it up, you take care of each
0: other. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It, it's what it's all about.
0: Do you think that's what makes a great improv team is that group mind element or is there more elements to it than that? Or or what's your opinion on what makes a great team? I, I think group mind is uh,
1: it can make it's almost like a cut of meat, it's a vegetarian making a meat <laughs> metaphor here. Um, but it's like, you know, like you can have the greatest technique to like on how to cook a hamburger, but if the if the meat you have at the bottom of it is kind of, you know, grade D, um, like if, if your group mind, if you don't get along with each other, if you don't know how each other play, if you don't trust in each other, at the end of the day, all those techniques really aren't going to matter. Because if you start floundering on stage or if you're out there and you feel like no one's supporting what you're doing and you're all kind of these one-off people doing your own thing, like that burger is going to suck. Right. Um, yeah. So like, so like you really need, I think, uh, you, you can be fine without it, without great group mind, but it really is like, if you can get that high quality group mind, grade a shit right out of the bat, mm-hmm. like people will take notice. I really feel. Like yeah. That. I think it's, um, it's
0: kind of the note or it's kind of the difference between good and great improv in my experience that yeah. I've seen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I see it so often. With I, I, have the fortunate ability to watch like a lot of college improv tournaments. I get to judge those. I get oh, that's to, cool. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do that from time huh. to time, and I teach there. And I'm always blown away. Some of the greatest group mind you will see is college students because they fucking know each other. They support each other. They hang out a lot outside. Not that you always have to do that, but you have to have the trust of someone. That you feel like even though I don't see this person every week, I know that, you know, if I were to if I were to my my, uh, you know, my car gets a flat, I can call them and they would be there on the side of the road uh, to help me. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's like it doesn't mean we have to be best of friends. It just means they're supportive and they got you. Um, and, uh, I see it a lot in those college towns when they come through and I see it when they don't have it, when it's just, uh, the brainchild of one person Mm -hmm. who's like, Oh, I like improv a lot. And I got all these people together and I teach them kind of some things. And, uh, here, here's our improv. It's like, I notice the difference between that versus the, we all hang out. We all love improv. We all know each other very well. And we do improv together i can tell it within the first two minutes of yeah them
0: absolutely yeah I've, I've had the same experience seeing college improv it's like usually it's either mm. super it's always like rough technically but it's usually either, yeah <laughs> it's usually either very very supportive or sometimes what'll happen is that you'll have a showboat on the team and everyone else is supportive but yeah. this one person who's taking all the focus which sucks yeah yeah it does and you notice that usually that is kind of an ego driven
1: thing. It's this one person thinks they're the only one who can do this, or they're the one who knows improv. And so they will be the leader of it. And it's like, that is kind of the exact opposite of how improv works. It means that, you know, we all are in this and we all got this together. And so, God, I, again, I've seen, I see it the second, a lot of teams step on, stage Uh, and even if they're great i know lots of people who are great improvisers and i've seen them in you know 20 different teams and i can tell when the team they're in with has great group mind and when the team they're in is like hey uh mike you want to do a show this weekend okay yeah cool like (laughs) uh it it usually shows it's uh it it usually shows
0: right uh so to wrap back around to uh technical stuff just a little bit i'm kind of curious to ask Mm -hmm. you so your, your background in improv is really diverse now at this point, and you've, you've leaned more towards a uh, UCB game style. How mm-hmm. have you incorporated that into the curriculum at improv shop that maybe differs from what uh, improv shop St. Louis is doing?
1: Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of the main differences, uh, because a lot of it, honestly, there is some good, like, when you get into, like, some of the character stuff and some of the, like, uh, advanced scene work stuff, there are are a lot of UCB things taught in there. I mean, uh, the nice thing is with the curriculum... Kevin and all of them have always been like, you know, if you have an exercise idea, add it on here, and we can talk about it. Or we'll we'll have a faculty meeting with some ideas. We can go over the curriculum. Uh, I would say that I just have a lot of exercises. I've been one of those people who's like, when I really like an exercise, I write it yeah. down, I put it in a thing, and I use it. So yeah, they're. Um, I, I want to say that, like, every week we stick the, to the curriculum as it is, but I will kind of notice sometimes I'll be like, uh, you know what? I feel like you need a little bit of a brush up on, like, game. And I might throw an exercise in to be like, just to be clear, like, here, here's how you pull premise from an opening. Right. You know, and, and and I might add an exercise here or there. But I do have to say the St. Louis curriculum there is a good amount of UCB game stuff in there. And there is a good amount of like a lot of them came from Chicago. So you have a lot of the Chicago thing, but it's an ever evolving document. And I got to say that there is a good amount of UCB game there in the, in the more advanced stuff. Interesting. uh, I didn't realize that. I mean, yeah. And I'll sprinkle in, um, I'll sprinkle in an exercise anytime I it, anytime I feel like it, I'll throw an exercise. No, but uh, but sometimes you'll be in a class and you'll be like, you know what, these people need to do. They just need to whatever. And I'll I'll have an exercise at my disposal that I use uh, just to be like, you know, um, just to just to focus on it when I see it. Kind of.
0: Here's a question that uh, I just thought of because you you brought up pulling premise. What kind of? Mm-hmm. How do you? Well, well, first of all, like some background for someone who's listening. Mm -hmm. So the idea of pulling a premise is is that uh, the group does an opening or there's a monologue or there's something that exists to pull information from. And the idea of premise is that you take the unusual thing from the from the opening, the thing that you thought was funny, and you start a scene there. Um, Mm -hmm. The way I understand is that that's kind of an outgrowth of how uh, Harold started in like the 80s and 90s, where it was more pulling theme from a group Mm -hmm. opening. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. That's basically how I understand it. Um, When you teach Harold in, at the improv shop, Kansas city, do you lean more on pulling premises from group openings or do you lean more on pulling themes or is it a a mixture of both?
1: um, I'd say when we teach it, we teach it as a mixture of both uh, there. um, And, in my experience, as someone who's learned a lot of UCB game pulling, I do think I really like the way Besser and them do a lot of, like, getting a direct premise from a thing and initiating it clearly so we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes the more ephemeral, the sometimes the more uh, thematic stuff, those little bits of spice in there are those little things that are like, okay, this isn't a direct, like premise uh but if you if you're good at improv if you can get on the same page if like you know a few lines into a scene even though this wasn't a direct premise pool um if we can find something fun and we're playing well um and we notice it more as a theme uh i feel like that can work really well because I i've seen people do the most ucb okay this is a clear premise pool of this uh there's three clear premise pools from the opening there's three clear scenes based off of those premises. Um, And those sets still be blah. You know what I mean? Still be kind of like regimented down to a T. Whereas like if you see a group um, uh, 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 that like a UCB who've done the Herald a long time, I feel like none of them stick to the pure We're only pulling a a direct premise from this thing and like initiating clearly with it uh, just because they've gotten so good at it that they can play thematically on top of that. Um, So I think when you're learning improv, I'll say this, when you're learning improv, it's best to learn the Herald so that you are pulling direct premises and initiating clearly with it but if you can learn to play like theme ideas and bring in some other kind of concepts as long as you clearly introduce them in your scenes so that your partner knows where you're at and as long as your team has talked about hey sometimes we'll pull premise but sometimes we'll be playing these more thematic ideas that come out you'll be you'll be great like you'll be you'll be good to go it's more like you all need to be on the same page discussing it. But when you're learning the Herald, I think it's best to just know how to clearly pull a premise and an initiate.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that's mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. What's mm-hmm. your, uh, I feel like it, the more time goes by, there's more contention with the Herald as a format. Uh, it seems to mm-hmm. really be a love it or hate it kind of a thing. Where, where do you fall on that spectrum?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm a weirdo. I've always been on the I absolutely love the Herald <laughs> Me too. Um, me too. <laughs> form. Um, like, I've, I know, I know so many people who I know who are great improvisers and uh, uh, cannot stand the Herald. And I understand why, because sometimes, like, for a lot of people, it just puts them in their head, even if they know it shouldn't put them in their head. Mm-hmm. And even if they know this is how you get around all that, they just don't like it because their brain's not really, not that their brain's like, <laughs> They're just not. It's not what works best for them. Right. They're just like they're. They're. It, it puts them in their head when they have to think of a second beat, or it does this. And like, I completely empathize with that position. But as me, as someone who's always been kind of like, oh, I love a good callback. Oh, I mm-hmm. love a good connection. Uh, the Herald has been like. It's, it's been food that I have loved to devour. And so I will I, – I adore the Herald and I kind of always
0: – Yeah, do. I I feel the same way. I, my big struggle is that it's always been hard to find other people who like it enough. So. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that is the problem with the Herald. I feel like every time I've taught it, I've had uh, two people who are like, wow, I love this form. I see why everyone – calls it, you know, like the form you need to know. It's kind of the grandfather of a lot uh-huh. of them. And then I have so many people who are like, wow, I'm, I, that was a fun class, but
0: I'm glad we're not doing the Herald oh, anymore. Yeah. I mean, I like, have students yeah. that will be like, this isn't a herald thing, is it? So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I get it. Uh, it's, it's easily the form that take – it's right up there. I, I guess the deconstruction might be more, but it's easily the one that is like – for anyone who's coming in and improv, like I just want to have fun with my friends, and now this teacher is being like, "What? What was your second beat idea? I don't see what you were doing." And they were like, "I'm just having fun." Yeah. Uh, like it's like it's like well, for the purposes of this, uh, we're gonna learn it kind of regimented so uh-huh. that uh, you can get to that free space of fun. Uh, but you having fun right now kind of threw a wrench. In yeah, that exactly. Stop having is. fun right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop having fun right now and do this form exactly like I told yeah, you. Yeah, the to. Herald. Uh, it's, so. it, the Herald is
0: like it's the most it's the most mathematical uh, form you can get, yeah. and it's also the most ephemeral, ephemeral and hippie form you can get. Which I think that yeah. dichotomy of that makes it difficult uh, a lot of the time, but also I think it's what makes it interesting and like uh, you know really powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, if you ask someone what their favorite thing to bake is again, as like a baking nerd here. Like a lot of people would probably just say like chocolate chip cookies or like a cake. And it's cause that's like easy and it's fun and they know how to do it. Uh, but if like, someone's like, Oh, I, w- my favorite thing to make is a princess tarté cake. And it's like these five different layers of this. A lot of people aren't going to say that, but a lot of people who are the nerds of the thing will say that because they're like, I get to do this. I get to do that. I get to make a jelly. I get to like, you know (laughs) what I mean? Uh, which is kind of what the Herald is. It's like you're you're using all the tools a baker has. Uh, and so like uh, someone who's a baking nerd will love it. Someone who casually bakes is probably going to be like, uh, you know, it's a little bit too much for me. And I understand that. I understand why they could feel
0: that. Uh, so, uh, here's, here's another question that I just thought of. Um, you have, uh, a lot of experience with different, uh, you know, schools of thought with improv and all that. Has that helped you play with a lot of different people or in what is, what does your brain do when you're playing with someone who's like in a totally different style? Like wh- how is that for you? That's a weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah.
1: Um, I'd say when I f- first kind of encountered it, it would throw me for loops sometimes when I would be like, when I'd be like oh this person clearly made A, a game move or something and I would Try to support it and they were just being Like a good actor or yeah, like you know yeah. What I mean like as someone who didn't Have an acting background I felt like acting Was like the last tool that I was Like oh yeah I have to and once you get know all the improv rules you have to be really good at acting, Right Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, Like uh, but yeah when I first Ran across it it would kind of throw me for A loop sometimes when I'm like oh, What are they trying to do what are they Blah 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 and uh I kind of found the trick for me at least would be when I'm playing with people who I don't exactly know where they're coming from, or I don't know their background. I, you know, of course, in improv, you're kind of playing in the moment you're doing that. But usually what I like to do is like just clearly frame things when I see it with someone I haven't Mm. played with, or I like to give them or myself a gift. Like if I see it in a scene, if I'm like, if I can tell someone is like really They're playing this character and they're doing really good at acting as a nervous character but they don't seem to i don't know why they're nervous if they haven't said it yet in a scene i usually try to help us both out i'll be like oh man i know i know i know i know that driver's test you're stressing about it because you know you already wrecked three cars or whatever it is like just so i can be like look you're being really nervous but you're not telling me why so let me just make up the reason why you're nervous you can keep being nervous I'll have the steady ground of knowing why you're nervous. And then we can play the scene out from there. So uh, whenever I find myself with someone who I don't know exactly how they play, usually giving gifts or framing when I see uh, an unusual behavior helps me out and it helps them out. It kind of puts us both on the same page. So um, it can be tricky at times. Uh, Sometimes, most of the time, it's just a blast. I love doing jams. I love playing with students who like... Not that I have to help them, but sometimes I'm just like, "Oh, you kind of came out here nervously, and you didn't like. Let me help you. Let me give you some gifts, right? Yeah, Uh, and and that way we both know what we're doing. Uh, I'd say that's usually the number one hang up with people who don't play together is like they're they can't be worried about. Oh, what's the philosophy they believe? Just play in the moment and give each other gifts and support, 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 and usually it end up just fine.
0: Yeah. I think so much of it is just getting on the same page with another person. And there's certain techniques and tools you can use to do that. Like you said, framing what you see going on, giving someone a clear gift, just really defining what's happening so that we can not just be in two different worlds. Have you ever heard that yeah. um, Matt Besser's idea of the thought bubbles? Um, I don't know if I have, he has this thing and it it really resonates with me, but he says that the, his improv, he really started to understand improv when he thought of this concept of, he used to think improv was, you say your thing, I say my thing, you say your thing, I say my thing. Um, but the problem with that is that we end up having a thought bubble over our head and they have a thought bubble over their head. But really what we should be doing in a scene is having one thought bubble over both of our heads and we're both supporting one thing together rather than doing two things independently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I feel like, uh, a good improv scene there might be a couple thought bubbles that are your own but yeah you're going towards this middle thought bubble uh of right. like okay now we're in we're in each other's uh reveries here right. or, or
0: whatever you want to call yeah, it Yeah you can think of your uh, own stuff but it's all uh it's yeah. all fed towards the common good is it's a very socialistic way of looking at improv, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, never mind, I don't want anything to do with socialism, no. <laughs> yeah. Never
1: mind. If I'm going to be doing Venezuelan improv up here, I'm no, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: no, I like that a lot. Uh, I and I see what he's saying there too. Um, uh yeah, because I feel like sometimes when you, There's a lot of that in uh, improv where someone will do something and in their head it's the clearest idea uh, in the world and they see the connection, but then they say this thing and you and maybe the audience are like what the heck are they talking about? (laughs) Um, There was this little middle thought bubble that no one got to see that they saw. Yeah. And it makes crystal clear sense. Uh, That reminds me of uh, one of Danny uh, Mastrangelo's, uh, uh, one of my favorite things he ever taught us was a thing called pushing the button, uh, which I don't know if he came up with it or if someone else uh, in LA did, but it's the idea that like, Sometimes you think a game is clear or sometimes you think something is completely obvious, but why not just say it again? And the concept is like when you walk up to a street uh, corner and it has one of those bu- buttons to push to turn the light so you can cross when you walk up and you see six people there, you assume someone has pressed the button, but you're not sure. Mm-hmm. So why not just press the button again? And I really love that because like i found the way my brain works, sometimes I will say something in a scene and it makes total sense. And then I look at people and the way they're looking <laughs> at me and I'm like, Oh, I, I said, okay, there's something going on in my brain that you guys did not notice. So let me, let me cue you in on a little bit of information you might be missing. Right. Here. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's like one of my favorite concepts too, just to get everyone on the same page, which really once you're on that same page, You can have fun. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows what's going on. And a lot of improv scenes fail just because they never get to that point. One person thought this scene was about I'm an angry mom. And the other person thought it was about a teenager who drinks too much. And like, like we were both like crossing paths and we never went like, okay, this is truly like what what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Scene? Let's just let's just say it. Let's get on the same page so we know what this is. Yeah.
0: About. And I think the other side of that coin and I see this a lot. I've even had uh, students uh, say this to me. They're afraid to just uh, it's if someone makes a move and you don't understand it, they're afraid. The other person is afraid to just say, like, ask the question, OK, what do you mean by that? Um, because yeah. people get stuck in this mindset that, oh, I have to yes. And, but they don't stop long, it, but they don't realize it's okay to stop for clarification. Um, yeah. like the, what I like to oh. think of as an analogy, it's like, if yes, and is like a gas pedal in a car, um, you know, and you wouldn't drive a car by just slamming on the gas pedal the whole time, you know, <laughs> you're going to careen into a ditch. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes, like, if asking questions are the break, yeah, sometimes you need to apply the break uh, a little bit to that thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and when it comes to, yeah, I feel like there's just so many, you run into a lot of improvisers, especially when you're teaching, so many who are, like, kind of analytical, uh, which, you know, is a great thing, mm-hmm. Uh but so many people like, Oh, someone told me this once, So I didn't do that. It's like, <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, we could get into a conversation about philosophy, but like, if for any reason, I, I usually say trust your gut in an improv scene. If you're being pulled, I think that's kind of group mind. I think it's that string connected to the back of our heads, like pulling us towards something for some reason. And when you go against it, because like, Oh, I was going to do this thing, but uh, in a level three class a couple of years ago, someone told me don't ask questions. Right. So uh, I don't. I didn't ask a question. Yeah, no, I've, I've um, definitely uh, ran
0: into that before.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and and just a quick thing on like asking questions. Usually, bad questions are things that you could answer yourself. Oh, what's the weather like out there? Great questions are ones that are like, why are you doing this thing that you're doing? Any kind of question that's a why, that's like Mm. a character motivation, uh, ask those questions until you're clear as day on them. Because those are perfectly fine why, those are perfectly fine questions.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. That's actually something I've been thinking about lately is where exactly, I mean, I get the idea, which is what you just said, but Explaining it to a class, I'm just wondering, like, where is that exact line where a question is helpful and where it's unhelpful? Uh, What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say a question is helpful if it is a question that um, is not something you could easily just answer yourself in a scene. Uh, If if you're in a scene and the bar's busy, you you could just ask, "Hey, why is the bar so busy?" Or you could be like, "Man." fuck this, this, uh, March madness crowd is nuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, bam. You gave yourself the answer. Anything that you could easily answer yourself, answer yourself. Um, any question that gets to a character's motivation about why they do something unusual or why they're feeling the way they're feeling, those are all perfectly fine questions. So I would say for the most part, most questions fall into that realm of, and the w- reason people say don't ask questions is, especially with newer improvisers, they walk out into the scene. What you doing? <laughs> just, just either if either they're not doing it clearly enough, and you label it. So if they come out, they're doing some hand gesture. Uh, you're Hey, what are you doing? If in your head you thought they were making taffy, say hey, how's the taffy or whatever. Right. Like give. Just say it, you know what I mean? Um, But then I could also, I think you
0: could also say later on in the scene, if everything's already been established and they start making a hand motion and it's not clear, then I would say it would be okay to say, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I would, yeah, I'd agree with that. And even in my previous example, okay, maybe, first off, you probably shouldn't ask that question right off the top, (laughs) let them do their hand, whatever it is, and maybe you'll figure it out after a couple lines, but even if you don't figure it out after a couple lines, then... Just just paint that so we all know what's going on. Right. Okay. So um uh yeah, just say like, oh, so I see you're making taffy. And then any good improviser is going to yes and that. <laughs> they <laughs> were like, Okay, I thought I was folding towels, but you said I'm making taffy, whatever. I'm making taffy and we're having this conversation. Right, exactly. Because it doesn't um, matter what you were doing at the top of the scene. Yeah. It yeah, unless it's it, premise. It, it really Yeah. Unless it's a premise based thing. And then, um, and then that's a good point too, is like in general, if you're doing a form that has a premise based opening um, let the person who comes out, say the first line or two, or, you know, establish what they want to establish. Uh, I've seen too many times where someone comes out, they wipe a scene, they go to start the new one. Someone comes out and automatically says something. It's like, they they had an idea. Let them get that idea across first. And then And then start the scene. Yeah, kind of my – go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say unless – if you're doing an organic form, all that's kind of out the window. But with a premise-based thing, let people get their premise across.
0: Yeah, my personal philosophy with that is if we're coming off of an opening and I know we're supposed to be pulling a premise, I will yield to the other person until it's clear that they don't have an idea. um, Or until they do and I get it.
1: Yep. Yeah. Cause you'll do that too. You, that's a good point. Cause you, you'll have people who are like, Oh, they swiped the scene, they come out and then they're just got their hands in their pockets, <laughs> making a, I don't know what's going on gesture. And like, if you feel it out, yeah, then, okay, cool. You, someone's got to take the oar and start <laughs> rowing this ship. So, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So we're, we're getting towards the end of the podcast. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you before we left though, is, what are some of the most important lessons that you personally have learned in improv? Like the really memorable moments that felt like it changed your way of playing, uh, those kind of moments that defined you as a player and an improviser or a teacher. Um, yeah. Uh, let me think.
1: Um, there was, you know what, one of the defining moments was we had, uh, I won't get into too much of the politics of it, but I was in a team and we were playing a festival one year and right before the festival, it was kind of one of our biggest shows of the year. There was kind of like this group change up and people got swapped out and some people who I thought weren't very good got in place of other people. And there was like all this internal struggle dynamics. And then we played a set and it was just miserable Mm because no one was on the same page. Uh, And uh, I guess, what I learned from that, and even though I didn't do it in the moment in hindsight, is that I knew what was going on. I should have been like, look, I'm not necessarily the leader of this group, but I don't think this is good. What we're doing. I didn't voice those concerns because I was being too nice or I was being uh, uh, just like, uh, Oh, you know, it's not my group. I just kind of play with them here and there. Like, so I, I was kind of cat cavalier about it. Um, so I would say if something's not gelling in a group, be honest with yourselves and everyone and you'll save yourself a lot of mental struggle. That way you won't have to be going to rehearsals and playing with a team. You don't actually want to play. If you ever feel that way, just be honest with people and you'll be surprised how many in the improv community would be like, Oh cool. Yeah. Take a break. Or you know what, if you don't want to be here, I don't want you here, you know, not in a mean (laughs) way, but like, I don't want you here. If you don't want to be here, like, like I don't want to force you to do this thing if you're not feeling it. So if you have those concerns, try to vocalize them and let people know. Okay. Cause like th- uh, that's like a big thing. I kind of learned that I was like, I wish I would have known this earlier. Um, and I've, I've ran across that teaching teams where it was like um, not at the improv shop, but in other groups I was in where I was teaching people and, Oh, we all graduated from this class and us three get along really well. And then these other three people were in the class with us. Um, <laughs> it's like, okay, if you feel that way after your classes, Um, just start a team with the people you want to start a team with. And if those other people get upset about it, just be honest and tell them I, this is who I want to play with. And so like, don't take it personally. I, we can, if if you really want to do something with that person, you can, but no one owes you being in a team. You know what I mean? No one owes like, like if someone doesn't want to play with you, don't take it personally. They might just gel somewhere with others. Um, and, uh, but a way to guarantee that they won't want to play with you is if you become like a, Oh, I'm so mad. They won't play with like, no one wants to play with that person either. So right. it's like just take it with a grain of salt, find people that do want to play with you, play with them, get coached and, and have fun through that way. I, I, I feel like as improv gets bigger in communities, you get more of this kind of people are upset about this little thing, or this person got this thing that I didn't and really, At the end of the day, if everyone was just honest and not afraid to be honest with each other a little, I feel like it would help with this. And I would honestly, even if someone in babies came up to me today and was like, you know what, Uh, like, I know we've been playing together for like four or five years, but Bobby, like, I'm just not driving with you right now. I was like at least we could have a conversation based off of that and maybe we could come to a similar agreement, but I would appreciate the fuck out of them for doing
0: right. You know what I mean?
1: Like, like it, it takes a little bit of, it's a little scary to do, but I feel like again, improv for a family, we take care of each other. If Someone's not happy with what's going on. I want them to let me know so that at least we can fix it from there. Right. You know, a
0: couple of questions on that. Um, when do you, th- is there a good metric for when it, you feel like it really is just we're not jiving versus maybe I'm going through a rut or the person is going through a rut? Uh, and when to make yeah. that distinction? And also, what if this sort of thing happens and it's a class and you're, you're with them in a class and not necessarily a team? Yeah.
1: Um, uh, so if it's happening in a class, if there's someone you really don't jive with in a class, I would say that you do for again training is a little different cuz i feel like when you're in a class if you're not driving with someone uh, if 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 a scene goes bad every time you're with them in a scene it's on both of you it's not on just them it's you right. not being able to and the teacher needs to help you with giving you tools with giving you Uh, the confidence to be able to do scenes with someone you don't like. Um, But if you're in a class together, you are kind of, it's like being in a high school class. You are kind of stuck with them, but uh, it's like being in a high school band class. Okay. You're kind of stuck with the band that you're in, but when you're out of band class and you want to start a band on the side, pick whoever the heck you want to pick, Uh, you know what I mean? And while you're in band, okay, yeah, Tony might be a little off on his triplets on the drums and it might annoy you, bring it up to the teacher, maybe they can help him with it, uh, but you, you're you still in that class and you need to learn how to deal with it and you need to make your concerns known to the teacher so that at least they, they can work with you on it. But if it's an independent team, if it's something you're doing on the side, um, if it's a group you put together, um, I think you need to just be direct and like... Um, And then uh, to get to your point about, like, when is it just a, a, a a thing they're going through and when is it not? I'd say, you know, everyone has an off rehearsal. Everyone has a couple off rehearsals. But if like if you've been playing on an indie team and for like the past three months, the past six months, you haven't jived with this person at all and you don't understand you don't like playing with them you don't need to give an ultimatum or something necessarily, but you do need to let people know like, Hey, this group, I'm, I'm honestly, I I just feel like we're on different pages. You have a discussion with them. Uh, I guess my solution to almost all these things is like indie teams, especially you just need to talk with each other when these things happen instead of going through and then out of note, cause I've been in, I've been on that team where, uh, you know what? We're not doing. Uh, we don't feel right doing this anymore. So this group's disbanded, and I know we have three shows coming up, but those shows are canceled. Okay, bye. Like, <laughs> okay, uh, what? Uh, yeah, uh, a little bit of an honest conversation before that. Uh, I, and again, I know it's a little hard, um, but I would say if it's been going on for a while and you don't feel comfortable, a one-off class it happens. Couple class or a couple uh, rehearsals it happens. But if you feel that way for a while and you felt that way, just be like, you know what? I, I don't jive. This isn't jiving for me. And I hope no one takes it personally, but it just is.
0: That's great. That's, that's really good advice. I, um, that's really good advice. Um, hopefully I don't have to use that someday, but if I do, I know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You'll find too. Like my, the group and babies right now, I said that example, I was like, Oh, I hope no one feels that way about me. Uh, cause I adore all of them. They're like my favorite people to play with. Uh, But still, yeah, if it did happen, though, I would be like, you know, either they need to take a break. Uh, Usually I would say, you know, then you get into all this politics of discussion between a group. But at least you have voiced your opinion and now you can have an honest conversation and you can all grow from it. Right.
0: Absolutely. Well, Bobby, it's been really awesome speaking with you. Uh, Is there any place that uh, people can find you or anything you want to plug?
1: Um, yeah, you can go, uh, with everything going on in the world, we're not doing shows right now, but we will be back. So, uh, go to the improvshop.com You can find out, uh, when our next classes will be when shows will be back up. But if you, if you have it in your heart, uh, you can buy gift cards on the dot shop.com that really helps, you know, uh, pays the bills and gets us through some hard times that we're all artists are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go to the improv shop.com. You can find us on Facebook, uh, at the improv shop, uh, KC. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I do have a, a Tumblr that I haven't updated in a <laughs> while, but if you send me questions on it, I will answer them and I'll make some new posts. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. It's called, yeah, it's called uh, yes. Labyrinth. Uh, but you can find me on. Yeah. Tumblr.
0: And I can personally vouch. It's a really great blog. And even though he hasn't updated it in several months, there's a huge backlog of, of really great articles that are worth reading.
1: Yeah, I think I got like 60-something posts, so wow. you you can you can read through them. Yeah,
0: that's great. All right, Bobby, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me, and I hope you have a great life. <laughs> yeah,
1: you too. I hope you have a good one. <laughs> thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Exploring Improv, and a big thank you to Bobby McCoskey for taking time out of his day to be interviewed. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to subscribe for more episodes. And I also encourage you to follow me on Twitter at Iron Blimp. You can also follow Relentless Comedy on Facebook. I don't want to give too much away, but we're getting ready to launch some online classes. And we're doing some show stuff online with Queen City Comedy, which you can also find on Facebook. Until next time, have a good one. Hey, before you go, I want to take one more opportunity to plug Rotary, which is my passion project. Uh, it's an improvised comedy podcast that follows a series of characters through a series of phone calls, and it's really, really fun. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast, and at facebook.com slash Pod. Have a great one.